0: Hey guys, it's Rachel, and this week I am hosting Rise Together all by myself. Dave Hollis is actually recording his audiobook right now, which means he has to preserve his voice. And so, your girl Rachel is, is taking this one on all by myself, and I thought it would be super fun to do an episode where I answer your questions. See, we did a recent series called Ask Dave Anything, and you guys sent in all sorts of questions and queries and this and that, and he had so much fun, and y'all loved that episode. And so I thought I would do the same. So I got on my social and I asked you what I could answer for you, and I have a whole list. So I've not looked at these yet. We're going to jump right in, and hopefully there's something in this list of questions about relationships with our romantic partner or our children or ourselves that will be helpful to you. I'm Rachel Hollis. And I'm Dave Hollis. And we're married. For like 15 years. And we have four kids. That's like a thousand kids. We've been foster parents to four kids as well. And we're running a business together. That's a lot of things. It is a lot of things. But we know that it's possible to have an exceptional relationship regardless of the stresses you have in your life. So if you want some tips and tricks on how we get through all the things, this is Rise Together. I'm not codependent, but my husband is. How can I help him? Interesting again. Gosh, I wish I had context on these. So I assume based on this that your husband is codependent on you, meaning that in order for him to be happy or fulfilled or have a good day, he needs you to be a part of it or he needs you to be happy or... I don't have like a, a a lot of great context to answer this the best way, but I think um, first of all, there's a really famous book called "Codependent No More," so read that if you haven't yet. But my instinct is that nobody can be that way without a little help from you. You know, like you're you're buying into it, or you're co-signing it, or you're helping it in some ways. I think this is really interesting, and it's been unique in our relationship as it has grown and changed over time. You know, we've been together for 17 years, and we definitely were so much more oh my gosh, were we so codependent and just living inside each other, and nothing else mattered, and there isn't another world. And we've gotten to a really interesting place in our relationship, and we're kind of navigating this in a new and different way. We have made a decision to stop treating each other like—I don't know how this is going to sound, and I don't know a better way to say it, but just bear with me—to stop treating each other like it's a guarantee. Like, we've been together for so long, and I realize, like, well, okay, you guys know we have a date night. Every Thursday we have a date night. And so no one's even asking, would you like to go to dinner with me this Thursday? Like, it's just like, it's almost like a routine. Like, we're so used to it and it's fun, but I don't know that that does a lot to keep the marriage alive or fun or vibrant. The other thing that this comes into play is realizing that we are two whole people coming together to walk through life together. You don't remember Jerry, Jerry Maguire, when it was like, you complete me, nobody can complete you. There is no such thing as two half people coming together and making a whole. It's not a thing. That's not a relationship. That's very, very unhealthy. Two whole people choose to walk through life together and make it work and make out with each other and eat chips and guac on date night. That is marriage. So for us, we've realized as we've gotten older, and I know if if someone told me this when we were first married, I would be like, never. Never. But we really need to encourage each other to do things independent of us. So I'm really mindful. Here's a great example. We're in LA. We had to go there to do stuff for work. We're in LA this weekend, and we had made this decision, like, we're not just going to take it for granted. And so I said, hey, I am dying to go to such and such restaurant tonight. Would you like to go with me? And he was like, oh, my gosh, of course. What do you mean would I like to go? Of course I would like to. And I'm like, great, I'll make reservations. And then the next day I was like, hey, I I am really excited about going to Soul Cycle with all of our friends. Um, Do you want to go? And he's like, what is going? Yes, I want. I'm like, babe, I'm trying to invite you the same way that I would invite you when we got married. I don't want to assume that you're in. Because part of what happens when I assume or when he assumes is that it doesn't allow the other person to be themselves or to ask, do I want to do that thing? It's like this given that if he doesn't want to do what I want to do, or I don't want to do what he wants to do, that suddenly we're not in love and the relationship is dying. And so I needed to go shopping on Sunday to get an outfit to wear that night because we're going to a big uh, fundraiser. And I originally I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to the mall. And he's like, I'm going to go to the mall with you. And um, we we start to leave and he's sitting on the couch and he's watching a football game and I don't know football at all and I don't know what team it was but I could tell he was so into it and I was like babe do you even want you you right now you're telling me that you Dave Hollis want to go walk around a mall to help me find a blazer to wear to this nonprofit fundraiser tonight instead of sitting on the sofa and watching this football game that is making you so happy and he was like Oh, yeah, you're, yeah, no, I for sure do not want to leave this couch. But there's, it's very easy to fall into this idea that we have to exist as a couple or we're not a couple. I hope that, I hope that makes sense. So, how do you encourage your partner to not be codependent? Well, number one, you help him to not be codependent by being truly independent. And having a conversation about what that means and like I still – here are the things we're doing and I want to love you, but I we're, – we're going to exist as separate people because we're grown ups, and that's what this looks like. The other thing is that you need to review is what I was going to say. You need to review your behavior. Is there anything that you're doing that's encouraging him to act this way? Or here, here's the other thing I want you to be mindful of. Back in the day, I would have been like, oh, no, I want Dave to go out and, like, hang out with his friends and have a—but then if he did, I absolutely made him feel guilty about it. So I was like, oh. Or, hey, I want you to go have a life, but only if it's super convenient for when I have a life. Like, I used to do that. Do you guys ever do that where I would say, oh, I'm I'm going to go to dinner with my friend Mandy on Tuesday. Maybe you want to make reservations to go somewhere with your friends, like, as if— The only appropriate time for him to go have a life outside of me was when I already had plans. Who did I think I was? How can I... Ooh, 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 I like this. Here's a good question. How can I prioritize my relationship in a season with a new baby? Real talk? You can't. It's like our relationships go through seasons where... The relationship gets a ton of attention and time and focus, and then some big major life event means that the relationship is the foundation that holds up the new season. So that is the number one priority right now. And once you survive, and by survive, I mean the baby sleeps through the night, that's when, okay, let's let's focus. And, and I'm not saying that you ignore each other or that you aren't intentional about I love you, or getting a cup of coffee, or just simple things that you can do that don't cost money, that aren't big and extravagant, but just allow your partner to feel your love and support. But just straight up, it's not a priority right now. You have a newborn, that is the priority. A newborn, having a newborn is like, you know, you're you're trying, you're treading treading water. And that's okay. To everything there is a season right? This is what this one's about. Okay, this is not about relationships, but man, does this make my blood boil, so I'm going to talk about it. The question is, I'm 61. Am I too old to start a business? I feel the drive and stamina, but I'm worried it's too late. Pull up a chair. What are you even talking about right now? All right, in no particular order. The reason that you feel like you're too old is that when you were little, 61 was old. But let's say, I don't know your family, but let's say that you are gonna live to be 80 or 90 or like plenty of people today, 100 plus years old. If you have 20 or 30 or 40 years left, you think the answer is to just like hang up your hat? If you have the drive and the stamina, you're doing better than most people on this planet. The idea that you would have so much, dude, maybe you have 10 years left. Do you want to spend the next decade of your life thinking that it could be cool to try this thing, but being scared that you're too old? What does that even mean? Other people think you're too old? Dude, don't be dumb. If you are excited about it, just try it. I want you to remember 2010. Can y'all remember 2010? Here's another one. Here's a more like magnificent. Can y'all remember 2000? Remember when it was New Year's Eve, 1999, and we thought that the world was going to end? If you're a young a young Gen Z or whatever and you don't know what I'm talking about, just there was a time. We all thought the world was going to end. And do y'all remember that night? That was 20 years ago. 20 years. How much has your life changed? How much have you changed in 20 years? Just think, think through that for a minute. Think of all... Maybe there were babies, maybe there were relationships, maybe you moved homes, maybe you moved cities, maybe there was illness, maybe there was death, maybe there were beautiful things and vacations. Like how many things have happened since 1999, New Year's Eve? Okay, if that was all you had left, my 61-year-old friend, if you were only making it to 81- what could you accomplish with the same amount of time but with 20 more years of knowledge holy crap so many things so many things and what if it's not 20 what if it's more look there are absolutely people who are gonna get to 80 and have and they cannot function but there are plenty of people who are in their 80s, I just read an article in, I think Fast Company did an article on the guy who founded Patagonia. He is in his 80s, still rocking, still doing his, I mean, you could make, go Google how many entrepreneurs are still doing amazing things and watching over their businesses and helping and advising in their 80s and beyond because they have the heart. And frankly, I think that if you are doing something exciting, you're doing something that brings you passion, you're doing something that's fulfilling, it's actually going to make you feel younger. Hey, Rach, what's the biggest mistake you've made in your business so far? What pops into my head as the biggest mistake, and I don't know if this will resonate with you entrepreneurs, but because I had earlier in my entrepreneurial career i had some insecurity about being young and doing this and maybe not having the knowledge it's why i feel so confident now was i've just fought really hard to make sure i know what it is i'm doing there were times in my career where i allowed someone who proclaimed to be an expert and you can't see me but i'm doing air quotes someone who said they were an expert and I allowed them to sway what I knew to be true about my audience or what I knew to be true about what would work. And every time that I have allowed someone to come in and kind of tell me, oh no, this is how it's supposed to be, every time that has been a bad decision financially, that has been detrimental for our community. So the biggest mistake, and I, I have had to learn this again and again and again, because when we don't learn something the first time, God gives us plenty of opportunities to get it right, is thinking that because someone was older or had more experience in a certain area that they knew my business better than I knew it. And the advice I would give to entrepreneurs about how to not fall into this trap is to just obsessively learn all you can about your industry and businesses like yours and how to scale. Because, like, for instance, I'm in the process of hiring a CMO. That's a huge role. It's a very expensive hire. It's a big deal. And I'm going very slow and being very methodical about we how we find this person. And all of these people that I've talked to have a ton of experience and have, you know, CPC and you know uh, this and like words and fancy things and all of and I know enough about what they are talking about to make sure that I'm not about to be screwed over because that is what has hurt me in the past was someone would throw out big fancy words and I'm like trying to be funny for you I actually know a lot about digital marketing um but someone would throw out a bunch of big fancy words and I would just presume that that meant that they were smarter than me. And so I'd let them run. And then four months later, when it was all burning down around me, it would be like, oh no, actually, if we would have just done it the way that I know works, we would not be in this pickle. So the way that I would advise you is make sure that you are constantly learning and growing. I see a lot of older business owners make this mistake with social media where they think, oh man, I've got to have social media presence. So I'll go hire some, you know, one of those young whippersnappers right out of college, and I'll have them do my social. But if you don't understand it, then how in the world can you make sure that a person's doing a good job for you on your team? So I always say to, you know, if you come to conference, or if you're in coaching with us, like I always say, there is no job, literally no job at this company, 60 people work here, there's no job at this company that I can't do myself if I need to. Literally, nothing. Now, can I do it as good as some of these people? No, but I can do it because if I don't know how to do their skill, then I am at risk for them going far off the rails and me having no idea that my business is burning down around me. Do you have any tips for rocking a job interview? Yes. The best thing, which seems so obvious, but it's shocking to me how many people forget this or don't. Research the company that you are interviewing with. The amount of people who get to sit down in front of us and are not familiar with our business, you've, you're done. Like we might out of politeness allow you to have a few more minutes, but you lost us at that moment. So know the company really well and not just what's out there right now, but go back and research. Are there any press or information about where they're going? And then make sure that you have questions. When I get to the part where I'm like, do you have any questions about us or or this role? And people are like, not really. I'm like, you're out. And it doesn't matter how good the interview was, because if you don't have questions, one, I'm like, are you discerning at all? Is this just a job to you? Is this just a paycheck? Because if you were discern, you would want, yeah, I have questions. What is the best case scenario for my f- first 30, 60, 90 days? What are the deliverables? What, what kind of, what can I expect out of my manager? What, and oh, Lordy, do not use those questions to be like, yeah, What does vacation time look like? <laughs> This is an opportunity for you to get to know the role better and to find out if it's the right fit for you. So research the company and come with questions. Okay, here's a great question. How can I handle success guilt when my family of origin is still struggling financially? Great question. And a reason that a lot of people fear success is that they fear leaving their family behind. I guess I would look at this a few different ways. For me, my success, my financial success for both me and for Dave, uh, because he's obviously experienced his own financial success, and then we have created something big together. But what we have been able to do for our family is unbelievable. Unbelievable not only what we've been able to do for our family, but what we've been able to do for nonprofits that we really care about, um, for our team here at work. There are so many incredible things that your finances can help other people with. Um, I paid off my me mom, and papa's home. It's one of the first things I did when I started to make good money. I didn't want them to worry about, you know, they're in their 80s and I didn't want them to worry about how to pay their bills. And so I'd paid off their home one Christmas. Um, We've done a lot of, we've helped our family in a lot of ways. We help um, family with childcare. We've helped families with loans. We've, um, you know, down payments on house. We've bought homes and like, we've done a lot financially for our families. And I'm really proud of that. The interesting thing is how do you navigate this And can it ever become people taking advantage? So I don't have like a clear bullet point list on this, but I've always gone with my gut on what feels appropriate. There are are two ways that we have given to help our family or our friends. And one is if my heart is telling me to do it, which I, I I feel like that tug on my heart is always God talking to me. I know everyone we all have different beliefs, but I believe that that is God saying like, "Hey, pay attention to this thing." So, for instance, with my me, mom and papa, that was something where I really felt like God was putting it on my heart to do this, and I it I came to Dave, and it was a pretty it was a significant amount of money. Nothing um, nothing that would have like hurt us deeply, but definitely was, we'd never done anything like that before, but I came to Dave and I told him that I wanted to do it, and he was very supportive of the choice, and you know, if it means like, oh, we're not able to have, at the time, because this was years and years ago, but if we're not able to have a summer vacation, and we're not able to have like sort of these extras in our life, but that means that the quality of life for my grandparents for the remainder of their time here on earth is better then of course that's the choice so that was something nobody asked us for and in fact we surprised them they they didn't even know that was coming um and then there are times where people have asked us for help and again that is I I I I don't believe that just because I am financially successful, that you are in any way entitled to my finances, regardless of what yours are. Someone turn that into a quote. It it sounds maybe obnoxious, but I think I've had to adopt that because we have been taken advantage of and we have had people be inappropriate. And so I had to get to a place where I was like, man, my, my guilt about this and your sense of entitlement is going to mean that I do hurt myself financially because what happened was that I wasn't this wise in the beginning and we did feel guilty and we did say yes to everybody and that really quickly turns into um, a routine. You know, 18 months go by and it's like, hey, can I just have this? Can I just have that? And I'm like, just? What are you talking about? And so we've, we've gone with our gut on what feels appropriate and what's not. And I have absolutely told very close family members, very close, no. Immediately, no. And I've had those family members push back. I can't believe you have all this money. I can't believe that you would not just help me out for this little bit of time. And I'm so grateful I had listened to a podcast. I can't remember when, but it was Byron Katie on Super Soul Sunday with Oprah. And she said this line that I have never forgot and that I have used in a million different situations. She said, defense is the first Act of war. When you try to defend yourself, you give someone permission to start fighting with you. And in that episode, she and Oprah role model because Oprah's example is like, "What about my family that wants this money from me?" And she's like, "Let's let's role model. You, I'll be you, and you be your family." It is so good. you guys should go look up this episode. And no matter what Oprah says, Byron she doesn't fight back. She just agrees. So she'll be like, and this is what I did with the family member that day. I can't believe that you won't give me this money. And I was like, I understand. And th- but but I but I just I need it and I just, and I'm like, I yeah, you're right. I understand. I understand why that would be upsetting to you. I can see how that would be frustrating, but I will not, like, I just absolutely refused to be defensive or to argue with this person or to say, well, here's why, because you know what? It's none of your business why. It's none of your business why. Just no. Just no. So I guess, I, I mean, I went off on a whole tangent about family and how we handle finances and how you show up but the guilt i so the question was how do i handle success guilt when my family is struggling i think if you can and when it feels appropriate you you show up for the people that your heart tells you you're supposed to show up for because that is i believe that i have this business and i was given this opportunity and i have this platform because God knows I will be a good steward of what I have been given, and I I try my best. We give ten percent of company profit. We donate to these charities that we love. We I hope are building a beautiful life for our family here at the office and the insurance that we offer and the four hundred one k and the unlimited vacation and you know, we're not even close to where I hope to be. You know, I want to, I want to build something that everybody else gets to reap the benefits of. And so I don't feel, I don't feel guilty about our success because I know right now how much money I give away. I know right now what we support and who it helps. And I, if I look, I said this at Rise Business Conference, you have a mission. Like you're, you, you are trying to build a business or you have a mission for your family or you have a mission for your life or you want to impact the world. The mission requires money. The mission requires money. If you don't have resources, you don't have impact. If you don't have resources, the work that you're doing, beautiful work, but it's going to, it will be limited. And so when you have resources, when you have financial success, you get to pour gasoline on this tiny little flame and turn it into a fire. And hopefully that fire helps to keep other people warm. And hopefully that fire inspires other people. And hopefully, man, maybe you have a little extra to give and they get to light the fl- their flame off your fire and that helps their family. But like, there is no guilt because we're putting the success to good work. And so if you are feeling guilty, then ask your heart how you can better use this success to help others. Because if you are, there's nothing to feel guilty about. All right, here is a really good question, really vulnerable question. So I appreciate this. My husband is embarrassed ever since he gained weight. It doesn't matter to me at all. How do I get him to want to be intimate with me again? Friend... There's a lot of things happening here that it's hard because you can't fix him. Let me say it again. You can't fix him. There, there's multiple things. So like I'm looking at this and I'm like, okay, he gained weight. And I have to assume that he gained enough weight so that it's made him uncomfortable with the way he looks naked right? Because we're talking about intimacy. And so I have to assume that's a, a significant amount of weight, because I don't know a dude on the planet that isn't ready to go, no matter what's going on in his life. Like, here's the deal. If he has, if that's the case, if he's gained a significant amount of weight, then then I have to step back further and ask, what's going on? What's going on that that became a thing because I don't know anybody that gains a significant amount of weight that something's not going on with him emotionally. So this is about more than his weight, but the weight is a physical manifestation of what's going on in his heart. And you got to start there. You can't even address the weight issue until you address why he's coping with food. Or why he stopped working out or why things changed. That's where you start. Like, does he need to go to therapy? Is that something that y'all need to talk about? Like what what what's happening there? And then once you address that, then it then that usually is tied into why he doesn't want to be intimate. Because again, I I maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know a lot of men who struggle with this particular thing it doesn't make it wrong or bad it just to me makes me wonder if there's not something a lot deeper at play here and talking through that with him like okay so so this is my question I'm imagining this is my husband and I'm trying to think because you obviously obviously you don't want to present this to him in a way that makes him feel shame because something says to me he's already feeling deeply ashamed or this wouldn't even be a question that you were asking. So then I guess what I would wonder is, is he doing anything to change it? Is he trying to get healthy? And if he's trying to get healthy, well, great. Then that's the conversation like, I really don't care. And I would like to make out with you. And if you don't want to be intimate, I don't know. I Everything, okay, friend, everything that I'm thinking right now is so dirty and inappropriate that if we were friends and we were having drinks on my back patio, I would just like tell you exactly how I would proceed here, but it feels inappropriate because this is a podcast that's a PG rating. Um, but if he was, if this was my husband and he's actively working to get healthy again, then I would be like, all right, I get it. You don't want to. There's lots of ways to get action and have fun that don't involve nakedness if that's really throwing you off. Good old-fashioned makeout session. Please, please put the kids away. Put the kids away. If kids are here, this is your last warning. Good old-fashioned makeout session on the couch. Dry humping each other like you're in middle school. I mean, that has nothing. You don't have to get naked for that, Bob. You could just... Have some fun. Make your wife feel happy. I don't, you know, see if you can do that thing where you take her bra off with one hand. See what you can do. Because if it's about you not wanting to be naked, don't be naked. There's lots of ways to have an orgasm without getting naked. There, I said it. There's 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 multiple layers, right? So is he working on it? If he is, how can we have some fun until you get to a place where you feel better about yourself and your body? If he's not working on it, then that's an entirely different question. Hey, this is really affecting our marriage and our love. And if this is a thing, you know, why aren't why aren't we walking through this? And why aren't we trying to get help? And um, so what does that mean? And then going even even deeper to the core problem, because you can solve all the stuff on the surface and if you haven't addressed that core problem, this is gonna happen again or bubble up or get worse. So why did the weight happen in the first place? Because I'm assuming again, that this is something drastic and that this is not something that existed before. You do not have to, there is no right size to have some fun in the sack. Maybe, is that what Bob needs to hear? Do you need, his name's not Bob. I don't know what his name is. But if you need to hear this, Bob or Carol or Sarah or Chloe, or whoever needs to hear me say this, oh, you can have some good sex at any size and weight that you are. The, I checked, weight has nothing to do with whether or not you can feel those things. So man, live your life. Okay, guys, I hope you liked this Q&A with RayRay. Ray. We have a super fun idea, which is having questions but hearing them directly from you. So we put together an answering machine. I mean, I'm a child of the early 90s, so I understand it's not a real answering machine. It's like a voicemail. But if you have a question for Rise Together or me on the Rise podcast talking about business, please call 737 400 HOCO. That's 737-400-4626. So call, ask your questions, be sure and say your name, and hopefully you'll be on an upcoming episode of one of our podcasts. Until next time, be sure and subscribe to the podcast. If you are listening and you are not subscribed, don't be rude. It really helps us if you hit that button so that you get a notification every single time we post a new episode. And as always, if you thought this was helpful, I'd super appreciate if you shared it with a friend or screenshot it and put it on social tag me and hashtag rise podcast so I can hear what you thought.